Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over the last 50 years or so. In each program, we interview a person from another country or with strong connections to another country to get their unique perspective on these matters and how they have affected their life, their work and their business. There's a little bit of history, a dash of economics, sprinkling of business, and an overlay of personal experience, both from me and from my interviewees. Today, we will be talking to Frank Kilbride, country manager for Aramex. Um, Frank is a man who started his career uh, in, in marketing uh, back in the day with the IDA. Uh, and I guess he'll explain in, in due course to his, uh, his career up to the point of being country manager for Aramex. Aramex is an international express mail delivery and logistics services uh, company headquartered in Dubai in the Arab Emirates. Uh, founded, began operations in, in Jordan, in Amman, Jordan in the 1980s. And I guess Frank will explain what the business does here in Ireland. But uh, suffice to say, it's a company of some almost 14,000 employees and active in over 50 countries around the world so welcome frank and thank you for being here with us today thanks patrick uh, good to talk to you today and a uh, pleasure to be your guest uh, so you have a professional career as i referred to there stretching back uh, to the early 90s uh, with the I- I- ida and aramex and frank could you give us a quick run through of your career to date yeah sure patrick so as you said uh, i have a background in marketing and uh, studied as an undergraduate and postgraduate uh, level and went to work with the ida as the first job out uh, after graduating early 90s worked there for a number of years which was a great experience primarily on the uh, working with the Irish companies who were sub-suppliers to American multinationals in the main, but, but also uh, globally uh, located uh, customers. So we got a great uh, introduction and induction into how business is done and, uh, you know, into a great organization, really, really interesting time, quite challenging, as you can imagine, uh, the early 90s at some levels, but a period of great growth that sprung from that and uh, Great learning experience for me. I went on then to work with a, a company called the Clondalkin Group, which at the time were an Irish PLC, uh, primarily print and packaging. It was on the sales, marketing, business development side with those guys. Again, we worked uh, in a company called Cattle Printers, which uh, those of you from Dublin will remember was on East Wall Road. And that, that company worked with, uh, again, a number of multinationals who produced software and the, the, the service we supplied them was uh, manuals, computer equipment manuals in the main. So so yeah, that was a, a different experience, learned a lot. And we went on then to set up a joint venture with a company called Irish Express Cargo. And that uh, company was called EMS. And we put together kits, uh, packs that included software, the manuals, uh, packaging. And we did sub-assemblies for a number of larger customers. So yeah, that was so-called uh, turnkey. Remember back in the day, uh, a three and a half inch floppy disk replication going to CD-ROM replication and uh, kit out and then delivery of those kits to the customers uh, in the US or in Europe. Was that what became Sercom, Frank? Um, no, Sercom were actually a, a precursor to a, a, a company called Printech were the original, if you wish. And then Printech were, I think, acquired by DCC. And as that, the name was changed then to, to Sercom. So it was in that same space. They were uh, probably a pioneer in that service uh, in Ireland. BG Turnkey would have been another, Sean Kilhan. Uh, Sean and the guys in Printech, I think, kind of pioneered that, driven by requirements from Microsoft, from Apple, nominally. And that whole uh, industry became a real growth area uh, throughout the world, but but a lot of that came out of Ireland. 
And uh, yeah, Sean and company were very successfully exported the ideas to countries all over the world. So tremendous success. And it was a boom in that type of uh, production because, uh, as you recall, everything, all the software was on discs, it was on CDs, and there was printed manuals with it. So so very, very busy time, late 90s, yeah, early 2000s for that. So that was the history with that. Then we went on to work with a company called Two Way at the time. Uh, it was a forwarding and logistics company based in uh, North County, Dublin. That company has since subsequently been acquired by RMX. That was the introduction to RMX. That was around the early 2000s. Uh, we, we basically set up the logistics function in that company, which was warehousing, pick pack, fulfillment. And uh, again, working with some of the same customers, but also trying to expand that out. And uh, that company had operations in the UK and Ireland. And then I worked uh, in my own business in the mid-2000s for a number of years before uh, rejoining what was now Aramex in 2008, where I've been working with uh, the PLC since that time as the, uh, in the role of country manager. Aramex is a company that started operations back in the 80s in Amman, Jordan, and now headquartered in, in Dubai. And as I said in the intro, something like 14,000 employees in 50 countries. So what are the core strengths of Aramex internationally and then specifically in Ireland? Yeah, look, RMX is an interesting company. You're right. They started in uh, Amman and Jordan back in the, uh, the the early mid-80s and by a, an entrepreneurial guy called Fadi Gandour. And he basically set up the business uh, to act as a, an express delivery company for, for customers in that part of the world initially. And it expanded rapidly over the years. It was one of the first companies from that region that had a, a NASDAQ listing in the late 90s. Uh, has has grown substantially to say there's over 17,000 employees with 98 different nationalities in 60 over 60 countries throughout the world. So so yeah, reasonable size business about 1.2 billion as quoted on the Dubai Stock Exchange, the DFM, Dubai Financial Markets. And that that business was a was a real success story from a very humble beginnings to the, the entity we've just described. And uh, it is known probably best for express parcel services e-commerce services in different markets throughout the world. But in this particular part of the world, we're, we're a B2B business and that we service uh, companies that are manufacturers, distributors, retailers, and we, we work with them uh, to provide service for forwarding, uh, logistics, and uh, international distribution. So we have a slightly different focus, but each country operates as its own entity. It's its own uh, profit and loss, responsible for, for its, uh, you know, its own strategy and own successes. So it's quite uh, diversified in one respect in terms of the operating structures. But um, the, the system is an interesting one, and it's known as a federal system in RMX. So it's, it's seen as obviously the word connected to federation, and that, that each country must uh, operate on its own and successfully and feed into the network wherever possible, the wider network of RMX uh, companies globally. Yeah, um, it's been a, an interesting, you know, twelve years. Book ended as it is between the the, the Great Recession in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, right yeah. through to, to COVID nineteen. So, how is coronavirus impacting day to day operations at the current time? Yeah, well, look, there'll be three, I suppose, main areas to that. Patrick, I mean, the primary one obviously is the staff and, and our, our, our our customers. And you know, to take it from the staff perspective, it's led to a, a, a big change for us, as as many uh, companies in that we're we're operating distributed. Uh, working practices uh, as best we can you know this this business relies upon uh, touching the product handling product so so we, we deliver it to the final user the, the the end consumer in many respects so we're needed to be present and handle products so that there's no way to have a completely distributed uh, workforce so so we have to stagger 
uh, our operations in terms of office, but, but particularly delivery and, and warehouse. And warehousing and delivery is key elements of what we do. And, uh, you know, that's been a, a challenge for us to, to make sure that that functions, obviously, uh, effectively, but, but also fairly, and that, that everybody is seeing it's a part of a team where we are part of the chain. And that, that team is not just office space, but it's also physical in terms of uh, handling the product and delivering the product. So that's been a, a, a you know a challenge for, for us and for every company, I think. But also for our customers, and there's been uh, wildly different experiences. Some of our customers are simply uh, not able to operate at the moment. Uh, as you know, the, the country is operating in a lockdown effectively. So many of our customers, both delivery and collection points, are closed. Um, particularly one of the products, a road freight product, as we call it. However, to to contrast that, we have many customers that are pharmaceutical and food, and those customers are extremely busy, as you can appreciate. Uh, we're shipping a lot of product or assisting them in shipping product to all over the world uh, and into Ireland and out of Ireland. So so that's been incredibly busy, very interesting time. Uh, so there's a balance. It's, it's a real mix. You know, there's, there's parts of the business very busy and there's parts of it getting uh, a little quieter. And how have you found the borders to be working, say, on the one hand, inside the EU, and then on the other hand, helping those customers who are maybe sending stuff outside the EU? What's the different experience of how borders are working? Yeah, the, the intra-EU, if you, if you will, that, that's working well and has done. There was some initial congestion, uh, you know, crossing through borders as, as countries became just more uh, familiar with how the processes work. But for heavy goods vehicles, for, for large vehicular traffic, that's flowing and, and moving pretty well. Some of the distances, we were moving a lot of product at the moment from southern Italy. That has been a little bit more challenging because you're moving through multiple borders. But by and large, uh, we've seen a slight increase in lead times, uh, but, but not, not, not a real worrying deterioration. So that's worked well. Internationally, yeah, I, I have to say, look, quite good. Um, the main issues is not really a border one. It's more of a port congestion. And, and obviously challenges from an air freight perspective. A lot of the options we and our customers work, would work with have been closed to us by passenger craft. There's, there's, there's no availability there. Uh, predominantly, uh, we're using freighter or charter uh, facilities. So that's been a change. From a port perspective, definitely there's been challenges there due to congestion. Um, we're seeing shipping uh, sailings being cancelled. And there's different reasons for that. So, so definitely challenges there. But it, it varies really uh, widely between countries. And um, yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing some return to normality in the Chinese ports. But um, I think there's a long way to run on this thing yet. Okay. Now, our, our government has begun to kind of tentatively signal kind of the outline of a gradual exit strategy for later this year. So in terms of yourselves as a business, are you still in your kind of emergency plan or have you planned your own uh, exit strategy as a business? And in that, what kind of permanent changes do you see in your business sector and what opportunities might there be in the future? Yeah, look, our business is very much built around our customer requirements and customer demands, be it production or indeed delivery into, into other supply chains. So we will follow them and we will take a lead from those guys. We're a, a, you know, a pure service provider. So, so yes, I think that that's always going to be part of what we do in terms of the overall business, maybe for a moment. We're definitely seeing in terms of the e-commerce and express deliveries challenges there in terms of maybe changes in buyer behavior. Uh, while the domestic networks are quite busy, some of the international ones less so. And you're seeing less international shipping from express parcel perspective in, in different geographies. So, so that's, that's interesting and it is having an effect. 
Um, how I think we will come out of it, I, I would think we're seeing a buildup in inventory for, for many customers, uh, a change in, in purchase behavior, uh, which, is, which is impacting how we do business. I think that will continue for a, a long number of months until supply chains reorganize themselves. I would see some fundamental changes as well as to how we do business and how our customers do business. And I think um, that will be materialized in increased invent- inventory being held in, in different locations, uh, a re-evaluation of suppliers and, and who companies are working with, the partnerships. I think all of those will come. Our response to that will be built around um, really what the customers require. And uh, yeah, we hope to be able to offer them a, a, an international solution in many cases, be it Middle Eastern, uh, Australasia or US. And, and that's the, just the nature of our business. And this phenomenon of outsourced logistic services, which is a fairly recent innovation. Um, so it's, uh, to me, it's one of these tangible manifestations of this economic globalization, which is often a topic what we talk about here. But from, from your perspective, what do you think drove that, that innovation of outsourced logistic services? And what do you think uh, are the benefits and advantages that it brings to your, your customers and other businesses who do it with other logistics service providers? Yeah, sure. I, I think, you know, outsourced logistics is, is, is a development um, that has come about through, through a reorganization of companies' focus on what they do best and, and what their, their, their core strengths are. So it, it's back to what's your core business, what are you good at, and what do you really want to, to, to concentrate or focus on? And many customers have said that, you know, um, warehousing uh, and indeed shipping are not core competencies and not something that they want to invest heavily in. And they, they would be better working with companies whose speciality, speciality specialization is, is that uh, area. And, you know, uh, that, that is what in the main has driven this. Also, I suppose, freeing up capital. Uh, companies have not wanted to invest in, in facilities, equipment, uh, handling that, that they're really maybe could use elsewhere in terms of factories or retail. So, so that's probably been the second driver of it. And the third, possibly the most important, has just been fluctuations in demand. You know, uh, the demand forecasting and, and reaction to, to demand patterns is a key issue for customers. And holding inventory and indeed warehousing, it can be seen as an expensive exercise. And many companies decided, well, look, let's move some of the risk away from ourselves and put it to partners who can share that risk among multiple customers, and thereby get a better uh, unit rate for us. And that, that really has driven it. And yes, you're right. Uh, is it a feature of globalization? Most certainly. It is also, I would say, a, a focus on specialities, what you're good at sticking to things that, that you are effective at. And that's what's driven this. Um, and then this process of globalization, that maybe that's a, an element of, um, it seemed to continue unabated through the 80s, 90s, 2000s. And then after about 2010, the mood kind of started to shift a bit. And uh, particularly since 2015, 16, you know, we've seen um, geopolitical tensions, we've seen rising nationalism, now we have coronavirus, and we also had climate change, which was affecting people's thoughts of uh, globalization and rising costs in Asia and so on. So where do you think we are at this? Where do you anticipate this process is going? Are Are we stalled? Are we going backwards? Is it a blip? What's your own take on it? Well, I think what it will do is put a a necessary and, and, and a really um, much overdue relook at the whole supply chain process. And I, I think, I hope it comes from both consumption, I, you and I, what we consume, how we consume it, but right the way through to production. And um, I think it'll be driven by, by two things. I think the individual consumer will have a, a big impact on this because 
I, I suspect, and this is tied in with environmental concerns, but also there are broader societal issues as well, that there may be a rethinking about you know, the cost to produce items that we take for as everyday, you know, they're not essentials, but as everyday items, either T-shirts or items of clothing, particularly maybe elements of fast fashion, that, that there is a massive production cost to those things. Maybe not seen in, in a dollar price, but certainly in, a, in an environmental context and recycling context in a supply chain. So I, I, I hope there is a rethink of that, and that's at an individual level. Um, I think broadly speaking, back to at a company level, I think people will rethink their supply chains. And I think there will be a deep look at where goods or how goods travel, where they come from. I call it a, a, a you know the supplier network, but how well do manufacturing companies really know their supply network? Yes, they're tier one suppliers, but tier two, tier three, tier four suppliers, how well are they known? What sort of relationships are in place? What mapping has been done of that? And also what, what contingency planning has been done? And this is the ultimate test of, um, of options and plans because we're, we're seeing how reliant we are uh, as an economy, but a global economy on certain basis for manufacture. And, uh, you know, you have to question whether long-term, whether that is sustainable. And um, I hope a discussion is brought up around that because it's important. But I, I do think companies will look at, um, look at their supply chains. And I think there might be an examination of where some of that production is done, perhaps looking to a relocation of certain elements of that. Yeah, been thinking about this a lot in the last uh, number of weeks, and you kind of referred uh, one of the earlier questions to this idea of um, optimizing inventories because it uh, ties up working capital. And the operating paradigm for the supply chain has kind of been, you know, reduce inventories to the minimum expression possible to keep the keep the business going. And I wonder whether we're in for a shift of paradigm to one where security of supply trumps inventory optim- optimization. So we're looking at maybe shorter supply chains, more redundancy, more strategic inventory, which means, I guess, uh, more and bigger warehouses, more materials handling, more automation and so on. What, what would be your own take on it? Yeah, look, I think you're right. I, I, I would always see it as a tension, you know, and that tension is, is between meeting consumption patterns. And we have developed a, an always-on economy, you know, the on-demand uh, delivery, on-demand uh, ordering. And, and that has led uh, to, to significant, uh, I suppose, innovation in in supply chain practices, but but also in modern manufacturing, um, the lead times involved, and understanding of, of how those interact with each other. So so you're right, that tension has been there. Will it change that that perhaps uh, you'll get an acceptance of slightly longer lead times? We're seeing that at the moment. People gen- generally have been pretty accepting of that. You, you see it when you're, you're ordering stuff online yourself. That most most providers are saying, look, due to the current crisis, there will be delays. Most most people are accepting of that, so so that's a point. I also think that that you're right. If you if you wish to have inventory closer to local markets, the only way to do that is to have bigger warehouses and to have it close to the marketplace. And that has been a, a tension that has been in place. I think probably since the early 2000s here, where a lot of materials inventory that was on the island has moved to the UK. We're seeing some of that those materials move on to the continent. Uh, will you see a return to uh, perhaps greater amounts of inventory left here? Uh, maybe. But but the counter argument to that is the long tail of uh, part numbers and stock keeping units that, that many, many customers have, or there's thousands of, in some cases of part numbers. They can't all be kept locally. 
because it, it's only economical to do that. And the best way to manage that is to have a central point and that smaller countries like Ireland feed off that in terms of inbound. And I think that 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 is unavoidable. And the other great tension there is that we have, a, as a society, have demanded a downward pressure from prices. So we want things cheaper all of the time and we want it faster. And there is a cost to producing uh, that, 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 you know, uh, we all have to recognize. I also think there's a, there's a cost to getting things here over vast dis- distances. And those costs probably need to be more accurately reflected in the price that we're ultimately charged. And I do think there'll be a change within that. And I think that uh, companies will fundamentally re-examine some of their supply side decisions to match demand. And uh, that, that, that is definitely out of kilter. A couple of companies do it very well. I think people like Zara and Inditex have done it extremely well. But I, I think... For all of us, the rest of us, there's, there's a lot to be learned and certain improvements are needed. And this kind of brings us to a question about Ireland, you know, as a, an island off an island in the Atlantic Ocean. We have benefited greatly over the last 40 years or so from this uh, globalization and location of foreign manufacturers here, logistics service provision, outsourcing and all of that. Um, where do you see our success lying in the future? Do you think maybe we need to change strategy or re-examine their strategy as a country? Well, look, the, 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 our FDI strategy has been extremely successful uh, as a country and, and we've executed that, I think, really, really well. Um, the number of customer companies that are here and that, that, that are located in Ireland is a testimony to that. But do I think things will change? Yes, I do. I think, look, there's obviously a, a hiatus now with in terms of decisions being taken for FDI for larger manufacturing style uh, decisions. And that will be put on hold, no doubt, for, for the rest of the year. So we will see a slowdown in that. And I think that that's agreed. Do I think the, the country needs to relook at that? I think there is a general... Uh, Re-examination of our industrial strategy is needed at this stage. I think you know you have Whitaker and Cullerton. I think there's probably a, a, we're at a step point where we do need to, to rethink what we're doing. I think the the software companies, web companies that are here, which is providing a fantastic base, but predominantly in Dublin, which is another issue. But I, I think that will continue for a variety of reasons. There is the obvious taxation one, which which will be addressed by other people, if not by ourselves. And I think we need to take a lead hand in that. Uh, we, we definitely have some uh, reputational issues to address, and I think the government needs to do that. Uh, that's the first point. This, the second, I would think, is that uh, we need to refocus um, on, on, on the Dublin-centric uh, nature of some of these investments. And I think the only way of doing that would be sufficient broadband infrastructural changes in terms of transport. And access and, and you know a change in, in incentives for some of these companies. So I think that's certainly a, an issue, and it has been for a long time. And I do get why a lot of companies want and like Dublin, but there there, there are such fabulous alternatives. And look, we were able to market the west of Ireland in you know in Mayo as a as a pharma cluster. You know, I think we've shown we can do it. You know, this this is not beyond us, and I think we yeah, have yeah, to really look at that. At the end of the day, it's not a huge country, and our transport network now is quite good. You know, we can get to most places in two and a half, three hours. Um, I, I also I think a lot about this as well, that, uh, and I do a lot of work both with um, the multinational sector and our own Irish-owned businesses, and there's and there's quite a gap between them in terms of uh, capacity and 
professionalism or resources and so on. And, and I also do work with uh, foreign-owned companies that would be small and medium in, in other countries. And our Irish companies sometimes struggle to, to compare or, or, or to stand up to, to those, you know, in peer countries like Belgium or Holland or Denmark or Finland. So what, what do you think Irish-owned business need to be doing looking at the future? And what might the government do to help them? Well, look, I, I think... You know, it, it does it does go back to the type of supports that are available. And I, I think, again, Enterprise Ireland has done a fabulous job in, in many, many sectors have been extremely supportive. To me, from, you know, from I suppose from my background with SMEs, it really, I think it's it's about marketing. It's about, um, you know, product development that that, that works for markets that, that, that are accessible and, and that companies should be looking at. The great issue there is, is time and resource, right? And mm. I think more could be done there. Uh, and I think we, we should be more more focused. Certain sectors, or being places like that, do do a good job. But I think we, we need a greater level of investment. And I, and I I think that's primarily the biggest challenge. I think there's some some really good products. It's just I'm not sure the value proposition has been thought through enough for the different markets. Mm-hmm. You know, the distribution channels, the partnerships, uh, and the networks. And I, I think um, you know I think that that's where uh, the, the success is going to occur because if we don't do that, you know, we're, we're, we really will struggle. It's always been a small local market. I think we've seen it with with Brexit. There there, there will be challenges there. So I, I think we need to look at. The markets outside this country, how we tackle them, and, and it, it it is a question of marketing support, those networks, those distribution entities, and more will have to be done there. Yeah, it's really diversification and investment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it really is, and look, it is, it is a diver- yes, I, but but I think it's about knowing the markets, and the, look, the great challenge, and you know this, Patrick, as well, when you're going to different countries, and you know it's a cultural piece, it, it's also. You know, understanding the network, how, how does it work, who what the buying influences, who are the decision makers. That takes time. Relationships need to be built. You know, you only buy from people you know. We, we, we both know this. And that doesn't matter where you are. And, and that, unfortunately, takes time and takes a lot of effort. And it's quite costly with travel and everything else. But if anything, uh, that, that, that I think this crisis has currently shown is that some of the technology has helped us has certainly shown it's possible to to circumvent some of that. But I still believe in that power of personal relationship. And from some markets, you know, take the Middle East or, you know, uh, Asia, China, that, that it's absolutely uh, vital that, that that time and effort is invested into it. And it's a big ask for, for many small companies. Yeah, it's true. Uh, well, as we come into the kind of final stretch of the interview now, maybe we lighten up a bit and maybe change tack slightly. So outside of outside of work, when you, you know, you're not working in the business or on the business, what kind of things do you like to do in your spare time, you know, hobbies, pastime? I've got three kids, my wife Jacqueline, so... We we spend as much time as we can together out and about on the beach. Uh, you know, it's it's activity time with the kids, which is great. Uh, I like to be involved in that football, horse riding, and uh, daughters involved in Irish dancing. So that's that's really the first thing I like to do is spend time at home. Uh, I do like to read, listen to music, occasionally play music. So they're the things that really that, that I like to do. And talking of um, talking of reading, have you read anything lately that was you know particularly inspiring that you might want to share or recommend to the listeners? Yeah, well, actually, I'm reading uh, Daniel Kahneman's book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, which I, I've, I've really enjoying. It's it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a really good read, and uh, I'd recommend that highly. Okay, basically, it's about type two, type one, and type two thinking. You know, we, we, we do things automatically. It's kind of type one thinking, but. Type two is the slower, uh, more 
announced. And I suppose it's just about, uh, yeah, it's about those two, the interaction between the two. So I'm really enjoying that at the moment. Uh, That's interesting. It's yeah, like, like to the, the difference between strategy and tactics, the difference between uh, planning and strategy, maybe, you know, the, the, the long and the short, the slow and the fast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. Yeah, look, you know, absolutely. We're all, you know, t- tactical in, in many, in many ways. But, but yeah, and look, we've put a, a bit of strategy stuff as well. And I suppose, look, that longer term view, always trying to find time to do that, to to dedicate. You're very good at that. You're able to commit periods, blocks of time to just that forward outward thinking and being able to then articulate that. So, uh, you know, we're all in the, in the here and now, right? But it's it's taking that step back and looking looking at things in a longer term view. So we're trying to do that with the business more as well. So the music-wise, yeah, I've been love music, and I'm listening to a couple of people, the late great John Bryan. I'm listening to some of his stuff recently. Well, Jackie and I are big, big music lovers. Um, yeah, we like to get out to gigs and uh, see see live music as much as we can. So, where can uh, people find out more about RMX and the services that you can offer both at home and abroad? You know, website, social media, so on. Yeah, well, we're on we're on uh, obviously the web at uh, rmx.com, uh, LinkedIn. We have an RMX page and an Aramis Ireland page which you know we, we need to do a little bit more on but there is some good information up there I'll also send you on we have a landing page uh, part of which gives information about the, the current COVID crisis and, and some of the things we're doing to, to do to help on that uh, for companies that m- might be interested uh, you know I'm, I'm uh, frank at aramex.com so yeah we're, we're the usual places so we can hook up with us if you need to on, on those locations it'd be great to talk to Excellent. Well, uh, thank you so much, Frank. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, keep well, keep safe, and look after yourself and your family. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. Yeah, best to you and best to all your listeners. Thanks, Frank. Thanks also to our listeners. And remember that if you would like to find out more about globalization, international business, and how we can help you to formulate and implement business strategies that deliver, please check out my blog and website on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which can be purchased on Amazon and Google Books. This is Patrick Daly of Alba Consulting. Goodbye, keep safe, keep well until next time.